Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting for about two decades, from what I gather. He's an author, public speaker, and we're talking to him today because he works with leaders of fast-growth tech companies to teach them how to retain their talent and improve communication and culture. We all know culture is the big word of the day today. What is allowed, what's not allowed, and what the hell is happening? Coming to us live from Nashville, Tennessee, please welcome our disruptor, founder and CEO at Future Forth, Dave Delaney. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay, that's so nice. <laughs> So Dave Delaney, I really, really want to talk about this retaining talent today in the age of the great resignation and communication. I think we've gone overboard on types of communication that's been allowed. <laughs> I don't know. I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, I'm sure it has something to do with being nice because you have a sign in the back that says be nice. That's but right. tell me, huh? Yeah, I was just like, yep. Yep. <laughs> it's right there to remind me. So tell me, before we get into this, what is your main ingredient for disruptive innovation? It's being nice. It's approaching the people that you come across using the golden rule of, of treating people the way you want to be treated. And, you know, as basic as that sounds, it's amazing how often we don't think about that. And if it is, if we are treating people or if we, we don't care how people treat us, then we need to work on that in ourselves first and then uh, and then move on to the second step, as I mentioned, which is treating people the way you want to be treated. Gosh, isn't that so true? I hear a lot from disruptors that similar things like no one's ever said be nice, which I find is really having to do with humanity today, right? They might say having empathy for all stakeholders, listening. You know, these are all those attributes of being nice, right? Yeah. Yeah, But I, I think we too often today, almost because we're far removed from the live settings, that we can be so nasty digitally, mm -hmm. electronically propagated by social media and all the differences, right? Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's important that when you're communicating online to follow that rule again, because you need to put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're corresponding with and that you're communicating with. And as you, as you said, I mean, it is absolutely way easier to be a jerk online because that person's not standing in front of you. But I think the more that we can treat people online as well and be mindful of the other side of it, by the way, is that some people online aren't people at all and they're bots or they're trolls whose mission it is to stoke your emotions and make you angry. And I also think it's important to also 
look at who you're communicating with to determine if it's even an actual human to begin with. That's also an important point about communicating online, especially as it pertains to social media. That's so interesting. How would anybody know if it's a bot or a troll? Yeah, it's good to look, you know, we'll, we'll say Twitter as an example, but it's good to look at the profile of the person, look at the username. If the username is like, you know, my username on social media is Dave Delaney. That's where you'll find me. It's not Dave Delaney, 214-938-694-920123. That's not to... <laughs> and I just had an imposter on Instagram, a fake account that was Dave Delaney with two L's that ripped my entire profile with my photos and everything. And that's also a big thing to, to watch out for too. So sometimes you're communicating with an imposter too. The scam associated with that, by the way, is that person then friends you, you know, Dave Delaney in this case, so you follow him back and you know him personally. And then uh, over a little time, he'll message you to say, hey, I'm uh, stuck at the airport without any money. Someone stole my wallet. Will you wire me some money? And uh, that's kind of that scam. So be careful with that too. Got it. Well, you must be popular for them to want to. <laughs> I get around. So. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So what does all this have to do with fast growing tech companies and their ability to retain talent? Like, tell me what's happening there. Let's really like break this down. There's been so many cultural taboos that have been completely disrupted in the negative way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, some of them positive, right? Yeah. But we have this, I don't know, what do you call it? This maelstrom of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And this right to free speech. But is it really some of it helpful? And is it really a right to free speech? Like, tell me what's happening in tech companies. You know, I would say this is this runs the gamut across you know, really all industries. As far as, you know, the right to right to free speech, I mean, that doesn't always pertain to a private company. So that's one point just to, so you can't just say nasty things to your colleagues and expect no ramifications from that. But I mean, what's happening now during sort of the, or the, this kind of great resignation as, as we, as the kids call it, <laughs> <laughs> and the kids, I include myself in that what's happening is, and we can talk about the pandemic, of course, because that also has affected things. But when people leave your company, Sherm did a study a few years back, the Society for Human Resources Management, and they found that it costs between six to nine months a person's salary to replace that person if they quit, what we call volunteer turnover. And so when, if they quit, that's going to cost you, like, for example, if a, a team member costs, let's say their salary is 60000 it's going to cost between thirty dollars to $40,000 to replace that person. Um, that's recruiting, retraining, you know, rehiring, like that whole process of having to replace somebody. And, and lots of institutional costly. knowledge. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I built a calculator on my website at futureforth.com where you can actually pop in the salary and it will show you based on their study how much it will cost to replace that person. And I mention that because in the tech industry, salaries tend to be more than 60,000. They tend to be quite a lot higher than that. And employee turnover is even higher in tech companies as well. So it's very important in order to... Uh, to manage and to have a great culture or to focus on on growing your company and having a great culture to prevent that volunteer turnover. So in some of the ways 
that I, you know, work with clients to develop like a, an, an, an anonymous uh, employee survey to get a feel for based on the leadership's concerns about where the pain points are they're having, but then compare those results with the actual employee's feedback to see if they're in line. And oftentimes they're not. And then also doing things like stay interviews, where you're interviewing your best talent to check in with them and to find out what's happening. This is all kind of fits into this nice method framework that I developed that I work with uh, fast growing tech companies for. So That is very interesting. Stay interviews. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just talking to, about this the other day. Like We service a lot of fast growing tech companies and there's a so much change happening today that the resistance to the change is growing and creating a almost like a hostile work environment or a covertly hostile, maybe passive aggressive work environment. And we just experienced this a few weeks ago. It's like when one person leaves, there's generally two, three, four that leave with them. Yes. It's uh, so this is this contagion, right? Yeah. What do you think is fueling this like non-alignment and this sort of like behavior in fast growth companies? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I've come across is in and actually so I do a keynote presentation called the ROI of nice. And in that presentation, I share a story that I experienced firsthand, which was working for a fast growing technology company. And one day I was getting a coffee in the uh, little kitchenette, as you do. And uh, there was a woman in there doing the same. And she had an ID badge on her waist. And I did too. So I knew she was a colleague. And we we had roughly about 50 people working there at the time. But we were growing rapidly. We're growing very quickly at that point. And I introduced myself. I said, hey, I'm Dave. I work over in communications and marketing. Uh, you know, you must be new here kind of thing. And she introduced herself and she said, I've been here for six months. And I'm like, I've never seen her ever. Nor did leadership ever communicate the fact that she had been hired and welcoming her to the company, any kind of communication at all. And she, I could tell from her face that she was like pretty bummed out about that oh. and kind of embarrassed. I should also add that it was also the last time I ever saw her. So my gut at the time, uh, well, what I concluded was that she left. Employee turnover in, for new hires happens. There's like 30% employee turnover happens within the first 45 days when they're hired. And so to your point, if you're not recognizing your team members and you're not providing feedback, you're not letting the company know that you even hired somebody, you can bet they're probably going to leave. That's a huge number. 30% is huge. It is. Yeah. And that's why like onboarding is so important and and communicating with the company to let everybody know about new hires and to communicate that is is such an important part of this nice methodology, this nice uh, method framework. So yeah, no, it's important. Yeah. Well, where do you think the downfall is? Is it like not pointing out things that are wrong, but you know, is HR trying to keep up with the recruitment so much that the onboarding falls through the cracks. Is that really a part of the comms division where they should have like an internal PR campaign? Like, is it a collaboration of both? Is it leadership doesn't care, just get them on producing? I mean, like what's happening? Because I don't think it's the people that are mean. I think we have other pressures that are happening. 
Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. So like when a company, like in, in the case of most of my clients are fast growing tech companies. And so when a technology company is doing really well, they're going to start hiring more staff to help sustain the business. Right. But what happens as a result of that, especially for the leadership team or the leader, they are spinning a lot of plates and they're trying to keep their current customers happy. They're trying to make sure their sales team are prospecting and bringing on new clients. They're trying to make sure that they're all getting what they need. They're trying to make sure that investors are also happy with uh, exactly. success as well. And so you're trying to, to spin all those plates. And, and, and unfortunately, communication starts to take a hit as a result of that because you know it's just not a priority and suddenly not even by choice you're not like thinking leaders not thinking like oh i don't have to care about them anymore far from it it's just they're so focused on growing the business that they neglect communicating with hr to say hey how are you checking in with these new hires and they neglect even checking in with the new hires and so this is such an important part of it all because if you're not checking in especially with new hires, then they're not going to feel valued and they're going to be gone pretty soon. And, and also checking in, as I mentioned with stay interviews, checking in with your top talent who have worked with you for a long time, because if they start deciding to leave, as you mentioned earlier, like this, this volunteer or this uh, turnover contagion that happens is a real thing. And if it's a popular employee who has a lot of friends at work and they decide to quit, you can bet more will follow. And then the, sometimes the they bring them with them to their next venture. Yeah, that can happen too. Yeah. When you talk about new hires and feeling valued, right? Within the first 45 days, they leave in this exodus of, you know, 30%. And then you talk about leaders having a lot of spinning plates, which is true, and checking in with HR if they checked with them. That all seems very reactive to me. Like there is a void in this proactive, I don't know, be nice campaign. I mean, you have the ROI of being nice, right? Yeah, yeah. But it seems very reactive to me. It's like yeah. it, like it's an afterthought. Yeah, there are steps that you can take. I actually, and and uh, I do want to mention this that I wrote a book called The Nice Method, all about lots of tips and stories in here to help folks, which I, I will uh, happily, it's like 20 bucks, but I'll give it to you guys for free. If you go to nicemethod.us or nicemethod.us and use the code disrupt, you'll get a free copy. Your listeners will get, and viewers will get a free copy. So you guys can, can grab a free copy. But in that book, I share actually a story or in that presentation too, I share a story of from a mutual from another friend, uh, Laura Godding Osner, who wrote a book, a great book called Limitless. And in that book, she talked about a CEO of a large bank. And one thing that he does, and this is something that I share a lot because I think it's just genius, is and it's so simple, is to as a leader start the week or on a Friday, whatever day, just allocate some time in the morning before you turn on your computer, even to write a thank you card. I literally do this to <laughs> I was just thank you for being so nice. I was just working on one earlier. But every a day copy. a hard, hard copy. Old school. We're talking analog, pen and paper, lick the stamp and, and shoot it off. So the point here is to take the time to write a thank you card. And so um, this example of this gentleman 
what he did. And he had managed, you know, he had thousands of employees and she interviewed him for her book. And she asked him like, how do you find someone to write to like every week? And he said, if I'm not paying attention to my team members, if I don't, if I can't find something to be thankful for and grateful for, then I'm not paying attention. So it's a good way to check in with yourself as a leader to know, am I slowing down enough to recognize my top talent, my greatest people? And so what he does, and this is what I advocate for, and what I do is I, I take the time to write a thank you card. And I write why I'm thankful for them. I don't add a Starbucks gift card and anything like that. I just write a thank you card and I mail it to them, so that to their home. So they get it in the mail and... Honestly, when you re when was the last time you received a thank you card? Never. And you know, when I send cards, people don't ever acknowledge them. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like terrible etiquette, right? Yeah. yeah. But when you do, but when you do get a card, you know, it's I, it I always keep it on my like kitchen counter, like because it's yeah. a great room and stays there forever and yeah. call the person and text them. Yeah, it does create a good effect. Absolutely. Yeah. It serves as a as a tangible reminder that people are that you're you know whoever the leader is of your organization it would be grateful for you and and is thankful that you're part of the team and it's just this little gesture that costs the price of the stamp and it takes you a little bit of time but another point and why i like doing this on a monday and why i, I suggest doing it on a monday is because it's a great way to start your work week is by recognizing someone on your team and being thankful like actually genuinely thankful that they're contributing in however way they're contributing. It just starts the week off on a positive note. And so even before flipping on the computer or, you know, and getting lost in your inbox or wherever, it's just a, it's such a great way to start the week. And so this is why I, I write about it a lot and why I speak about it. And, you know, when I, when I do consulting or, or, or uh, presentations for companies or at conferences, this is a big one. That's a big one. Wow. Well, again, that's so nice. <laughs> well, that's what I'm going for. So. Yeah. Well, we need to be nice in the corporate setting. We need to be nice in these fast growing tech companies. Mm -hmm. And you're mentioning some of the things that are just part of granting importance to the person, right? To the people. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any other factor that's happening that has become the status quo since COVID? in these fast growth companies that is contributing to an environment that's not nice. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of companies now are working remotely or they're trying to figure out hybrid that works for everyone. And a lot of team members have gotten a taste for what it feels like to work remotely and they kind of like it. Not everybody, not everybody, but some people do. So the nice method framework breaks into three sections. It's it's to hear your team, so to actively listen, to provide feedback, to provide recognition. It's to avoid the wrecks. And these wrecks are caused by miscommunication or poor communication and workplace fear, like fear of leaders, fear of managers and things. And then the third part of the nice method, and this all I go into all this stuff with great detail in the book, is life outside the walls. And life outside the walls means finding ways to, to bring your people together, to build relationships. You're far more likely to quit, to leave a job if you have friends there. And so you're way more likely or less likely to quit if you have friends. And if you have friends, they're more likely to stay because they're your friend too. 
So celebrating life outside of the walls and finding ways to bring your teams together. So to answer your question, this challenge these days is having remote teams. Now, some businesses are fully distributed to begin with, especially a lot of SaaS companies are like that software as a service, but other companies are doing that now too. And so the, to, to rectify this, it, you have to build relationships. And in order to build relationships, you need to bring your team together in person. And just as, you know, long distance relationships tend to not work if you never come together in a relationship kind of way. Or kind of hard know, to get or, married that way, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I mean, long not to poo-poo long distance relationships, but at some point you do have to come together. If you never see each other in personally, then you know, that's not that's gonna affect things poorly. So building relationships, that's why like you know, and I've been on I've been on social media since the earliest days, um, Twitter since 06 or 07, podcasting since 2005. So like I've been on these spaces and I, but I used to go to all these tech conferences and or, or organize my own events to bring people together and we would meet in person. And once you meet in person, the magic happens. That's when real relationships happen. That's when hugs and high fives and handshakes and human physical human touch, which actually does help scientifically like uh, solidify relationships. So the same can be said for in the workplace and bringing your team together. So even if you're a fully distributed team who never comes together in the same office because you don't maybe even have an office, organizing a retreat is a key thing to do or an offsite is a great way to bring your team together. And this is why I'm often hired to come to the event space, wherever it is, and deliver a presentation and a workshop to the team but or do like a two day engagement, something like that, where, where I'm teaching the team members during the first the mornings of each day and then the afternoons are, you know, saved for fun, you know, not that I'm not fun, but you know, <laughs> people be would nice, rather be bowling. Right? <laughs> I'd rather be bowling, I think, uh, or sailing or whatever the bumper sticker would be. So bringing your team together, allowing your team members to actually build genuine relationships. And this comes from proximity. It comes from being together is a really important step in all of this. Yeah. I just, was talking to someone the other day who said they just started hugging people since the pandemic, right? Yeah, and yeah. what a good feeling that was. And I thought, oh my gosh, right? Like, yeah, it's been two years and you haven't been like hugging your friends or wow. It's, um, a, it's so true. Yeah, no, hugging is like, that's a big one with, with full consent, of course, but especially as, it, as it pertains <laughs> to the workplace. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a hugger too. And I've been delivering uh, the ROI of NICE as a, as a keynote presentation to a lot of associations lately. And it's been really fun because I just spoke uh, for uh, Global Meeting Industry Day for MPI in uh, Ottawa, Canada, my home and native land. And uh I spoke, I keynoted their conference and it was so much fun to see everybody come together and they were like loving life because they hadn't seen each other in a couple of years. So right now it, it is especially fun keeping safety in mind and, and all, all of that, of course, I'm quadruple vaccinated myself. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll take, I'll take uh, all the vaccine they have, just keep putting it in me. That's, that's fine. So yeah, anyway, bringing people together is important. So what do you find is the thing that really resonates with when you do these like retreats and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
we're looking at this as a not, I mean, look, this is the golden rule. It's been around since God knows when, literally no yeah. pun intended. <laughs> yeah, 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 but, yeah, yeah. It's in now, all those books. <laughs> it's in all those books, right? Yeah. All those philosophers. And we're bringing it back today in a very cold, virtual, digital world as a disruptive innovation. Like, how is this innovative? And what's different about this? Mm -hmm. And how are people looking at it? Are they kind of having these epiphanies? Like, oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I think getting back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is treating people well, but also recognizing that the people that you're communicating with online are humans. And that applies to work too. I mean, even if you're just corresponding through Slack all day, which so many are, or Microsoft Teams or what have you, it's so important to remember that you're communicating with a person. And while we may be fast, maybe faster on social media to respond and say, you're a jerk, uh, you know, <laughs> keeping in mind that if we can learn to behave better there, we can definitely learn to behave better communicating with our colleagues. And, and so, you know, part of it is slowing down. It's like the, the kind of age old advice with email. Like if you're mad at someone and you write that email, maybe don't hit send, give it 24 hours and then review the email again before you hit send. By the way, little tip there is don't have their email address in the, in the, uh, in the field. So that way, as you're writing the email, you don't accidentally hit send. And also I'm a, I'm a Google, I'm a Gmail user. There is a button in the settings where you can pause your email for 30 seconds. So when you send in a message, you can actually stop it from sending after within 30 seconds. So that's a good tip there too. It's a great so, tip. Sit on yeah, it. Yeah. Sleep on it. There used to be, actually, there used to be a long time ago, there was a Gmail extension added. I can't remember if it was from Google or a third party. And it was basically, it was a genius idea. But it was, and I'm totally digressing here, but it's it was okay. for, it was, you it, you would, if you turn it on, it would set up your email so that you couldn't send email after like midnight without doing a math equation first. And the idea was that if you had been out having a few cocktails and you started writing an email to prevent you from sending like a ridiculous email, you you had to do the math equation. If you couldn't figure it out, then uh, sorry, no email didn't for you. didn't get to send. Oh my God, they should do it on social media. You don't get to post this until you right. figure out a math equation password. Right. That's amazing. I'm sure that saved uh, a lot of people's careers probably. Oh man, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what do you find is the most fun and where people are the most receptive? One of the things I talk about, actually, I have another presentation keynote that I do called the Master Communicator Secret Weapon. And between you and me, don't tell anyone, the secret weapon is improv. And so I studied uh, improv at Second City in Toronto and then had my own troupe, uh, my own improv troupe in uh, Ireland. I lived in Ireland for a couple of years and I performed improv in Scotland and England and then uh, started performing improv again in the US. Actually, I joined a troupe for a year. What I have done and what I talk about in that presentation is not everybody rush out and take an improv class, although that would be great. And it's not to put anyone in the hot seat because I know some people would run out the door if I told them that, you know, hey, let's do an improv game. But the key to that present, there's three key takeaways in that presentation and training. The first is to lead with acceptance and empathy. The second is to listen, to actively listen. And the third is not to fear failure. 
And so when I do that presentation, sometimes an event organizer or a client who brings me in to do like a retreat, I'll also do like a, a, an improv workshop as well as part of that so that we they can get their hands dirty and have some fun. So that I find that in improv, there's a rule called yes and. I ripped it off and, and my version is called nice and. And part of it is because of the workplace. You can't accept everything. You just can't. You can't say yes to everything. But you can say nice to everything. And it doesn't mean Give that me you have example. to. Give me an All example. All right. So this is, so we'll run through it. This is kind of the improv thing, right? Okay, so, let's do the improv thing. Okay. So, so just name something you find in an office, anything. A laptop, a computer, a desk. Great. A okay. okay. So a laptop. Let's say a laptop. So I'll say, uh, Carla Joe, I just found this or check out this new laptop and you just have to answer everything with nice and and then fill in the blank so check out uh this brand new laptop and you say i nice. have to say nice and yes something else and something else yeah nice and i just got this new microphone nice and what happens if we connect the microphone to the laptop Ooh, nice i have no idea <laughs> nice and <laughs> nice, nice and. and we're gonna get better sound Nice. And if we get better sound, we could start a podcast. Nice. And you can be my guest. Nice. And it could be number one in the in the iTunes app store. Nice. And then we're going to be famous. Nice and rich. Okay. See? So there you go. So that works with, and what happened in that, and kudos to you for playing along. Thank you. But what happens in that case is you're accepting and building upon it. Accepting, accepting, accepting. Now, I once was in a situation where I was pitching an idea for a product to the C-suite of a company that I, I worked for, and the CEO was there. And I just started there. I hadn't been there long. And so I got up. I was really nervous, and I shared this idea for a product. And he said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. How do you think that made me feel? How do you think that made me feel? How many more ideas do you think I shared? Never any. Never again. But in his defense, it might have been a bad idea. But if he had led using nice and, he could have said, nice, and let's talk about it more after the meeting over coffee so I can just understand your idea a little more. Or nice, and let's talk to customer service and see if this is something our customers have been asking for. Or nice, and let's see if, let's talk to sales and see if this is uh, an uh, opportunity. Maybe it's something that our customers are looking for. But by saying nice and, it makes you hold on a beat, hold on a minute, rather than just saying no right away. And by doing this, you're empowering your team members. They feel that they've been heard. This fits into the nice method framework and what I do with hearing your team, right? And listening effectively, it makes your team feel heard or whoever it is that was sharing that, that idea. Again, you're not necessarily going to throw a million dollars into R&D right away. But if you take that idea and you talk to sales or you talk to customer service or you spend some more time understanding it, that could lead to something new. And companies add products and services all the time or features or they pivot entirely. Yeah. You know, Nintendo got started as a card game. Sony got started as a rice cooker company. Oh, I didn't right? know that. Yeah. So these companies pivot over time. And this is the same for like, you know, I mean, we know like Facebook's origins is like a singles thing for colleges only. And then, and then it gradually, you know, 
Twitter was started as like a microblogging thing and even a podcasting thing yeah. before that. So my point here is that if you lead with acceptance by using nice and great things happen. And when I work with teams, what happens afterwards, and this is this is the feedback I love when I check back in and I start doing engagements, I do a I do what I call a nice 90, which is a 90 day engagement, this nice 90 day engagement during this time. It's great because I start when I start checking in with other employees, they say, oh, it's funny because we had a, a board meeting with the CEO or the founder or whomever. And so and so pitched an idea and the CEO said, no, that will never work or no, that's a bad idea. And they all said, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> and the leader and then he was like, oh, nice. And let's talk about it more. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then at least he got to understand the idea more right and again like if you slow down long enough and listen and be nice and listen to your team members and empower them you may learn that you may think about that idea and think wait a minute actually your idea is good but what if we did it this way and that could be the next but if you're always saying no so getting back to like just for for kicks here this is the uh, nice butt version, just to be clear, one T, or it could be a call to the HR department. <laughs> um, do the same thing, but say nice butt. Okay, so here's a laptop that I just got. Nice, but don't you think you need a bigger screen? Nice butt. This screen's not too bad. Nice, but a bigger screen, you could see a lot more. Nice, but you can see on this screen, okay. Nice, but the bigger screen has more RAM. Nice, but... This size screen will work just fine. Nice, but you get a better bag with the, with the bigger screen. <laughs> well done, well done. So you see what happened, right? Like you're blocking me constantly and we're getting nowhere. Yeah. And so nice butt is the same as saying no. Yeah, no yeah, that's right? true. We got nowhere. It's so very yeah. true. And I think it makes people stick to their idea, even if it may, may be faulty, yeah. whereas when you're opening co like communication collaboration, nice. And, you know, then they want to like be part of the solution. And maybe they realize on their own that my, my idea is not so great this way, but that way. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Well, Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. In the age of disruptive innovation, nice and improv should be part of every collaboration. Don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. And when I've done these improv, I don't call them improv workshops, but improv plays a role in it often. Part of the reason too is improv scares, can scare people off. They might yes, think it's it? gonna be, yeah, a hardcore improv thing, or they might think it's gonna be some like cheesy person who's just there about improv or as a comedy thing. But I bring, you know, years of experience working for corporations and with clients and tech companies, especially, and helping them improve communication. So improv is part of the toolkit. Yeah. Dave, how did you get to be on this be nice path? Have you always been, you know, Mr. Super Nice, like even little Dave, like growing up, wanting to make people happy? Or did you have like a particular moment where you said that's effing it? Like I'm changing this. I'm going yeah. in this direction. It's a great question. I've always strived to be a good person and to treat people well. Like any human, I make mistakes, of course. And like any human, I lose my temper too. You know, I'll be stuck in traffic, somebody cutting me off. I, mean, I can't these things... see you mad though. I just can't picture it. <laughs> hey, I have two teenagers. Just ask them. They'll, they'll tell me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I think I've always, I've always tried to, yeah, just try to treat people well. And during some, some of my own kind of career soul searching, I had a great conversation with, uh, I, I belonged to a couple of masterminds with some, some colleagues and this idea of, they're like, Dave, just call yourself nice. That's what you are. And it came from them. And I thought, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how we landed on it. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So Dave, what do you do outside of like all your ROI of nice and being nice? Like do you have any crazy passions or? I do actually. It's funny you should ask. So I have a podcast as well. I'll have to bring you on. Yeah. Uh, all the nice podcasts, go figure. Um, I have just so, and I, I explained my history with uh, improvisation, improv comedy. I have now at this, at the time of this recording, have performed stand-up comedy three times. Yeah, I'm now exploring doing more stand-up. So I'm trying to do more and more stand-up comedy, which is a totally different thing than improv. Oh, okay. Um, I, I got a little confused. And then I started to think. So you were like, so it is different than improv. Yeah. Just think of improv as like, if you've seen Whose Line Is It Anyway? My favorite. Yeah. It's the yeah. best. In fact, I actually include this uh, in the uh, Master Communicator Secret Weapon presentation, but I'll, I'll share it with you. I was once watching Whose Line with my son, who was 13 at the time. And I asked my son, like, who's your favorite performer on, on the show? And my son said, without missing a beat, he was like, Colin Mockery. So, I tweeted to Colin Mockery and I said, hey, Colin, I said, my 13-year-old son, Sam, just said that you're his favorite on Whose Line? Please don't tell the others. And he responded without missing a beat. He responded instantly. And he said, please tell your son that he's brilliant or something to the effect of like, please tell your son he's very smart and that I will tell the others. <laughs> and I was like, yes, so great. So, but improv, you know, you're, you're working with team members on stage, right? And there's a lot of collaboration that's involved with that. There's a lot of rehearsal involved with that, even though the show itself is improvised. Part of the secret of improvisation and improv shows is hopefully these actors have worked together and trained together so that they know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And so if I know that you're a great singer, I might give you a give, like from the audience, you know, I might start to sing to you. So that can allow you to sing back to me. And even though I sound terrible, you sound awesome. And so it's very collaborative that way. But with stand-up, one of the coolest things about stand-up that I've always loved is that there's no way to know that you're any good without an audience. So, so like you think of like a band, right? Like a band can jam together in a basement until they feel like, okay, we've got something here. Let's go play a gig and see what happens, right? They know from each other, or even as a musician, you know from your ear, the guitars in tune and that what the chords are supposed to sound like. You know that enough to compose music or to play music. But with improv or with stand-up, you don't know until you do it on stage. And I'm a big fan. I love uh, Jesse Fox has a podcast called Good One, where he talks to comedians about their bits and actually their sex and then tears them apart and talk, not in a, in a positive way, but kind of dissects them. And so this is a long-winded way of answering your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I'm love ranting, it. But I'm really excited. Um, so if any of your listeners or viewers are interested, I've started a sub stack where I'm sharing my stories of doing improv as well. So they can, uh, they can follow along. And if you've ever been interested in trying it, 
I'm sharing everything I learn along the way. So, yeah. You know, I spoke to someone else that was doing improv and my take on it is, is that it's gutsy. It is. Not improv. I mean, I'm not, no, not just improv. I'm sorry. Stand-up comedy. I think yeah. improv is gutsy too, but stand-up comedy. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. You're alone. I mean, it's really, you know, you, you've done it three times. I've done it three times in the last two weeks. Yeah. So were you successful? Was it a rush? Did you bomb? What happened? Yeah, thank you. Uh, good <laughs> questions. Yes. So a typical open mic set is four minutes long. So you have four minutes. The first time I did it went really well. And that got me excited. The And it was horrific, of course, because, yeah, you know, the second time I did it, not as good. And the venue was kind of bad. And the audience was kind of weak. But you can't blame the audience in a lot of a lot of times. I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. Or the venue. And then the last time I did it, I felt like I bombed. Like I felt terrible. I was the last person to go up and I waited like four hours. So I was tired. My energy wasn't quite where I wanted it to be. I forgot a couple of the jokes I wanted to include. But I watched the video. And this is important. Record the videos of you doing stuff. I recorded the video and I watched, rewatched the video afterwards. And I'm like, it's actually not bad. And I watched it with a comedian friend and he gave me, he critiqued it, which I'll be sharing in my sub stack as well, if anyone's interested. So of his feedback, it turned out that it wasn't as quite as bad as I thought. I mean, we're, you know, there's lessons in life here, right? We're all our own worst critics and that's part of it. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse with, uh, you know, any sort of speech or anything you need to give. So it's a different, obviously a different beast than, than being a keynote speaker. Um, something that is is near and dear to my heart and I absolutely love to do. So it's different. Yeah, it's been it's been fun so far. Well done to you. Okay. Thanks. Last personal question. Who's your favorite comedian? Oh gosh, living or dead. Ooh, no, no qualifier. No qualifier. Wow. Well, that's a tough one. A stand-up that I've seen a bunch a, a few times. I never miss him when he comes through Nashville who I love is uh, Rory Scovel. So I find his stuff is absolutely hilarious. He's having some success as an actor now and has been doing some some television and film work. So his career seems to be doing well. But uh, I love David Cross also big, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old school comedy fan. I love I love comedy. You know, I love Rodney Dangerfield's old stuff, <laughs> um, oh you know. Even Joan Rivers stuff was amazing. Like, yeah. I love like Richard Pryor, of course, oh, um, you know, and then Lenny Bruce, because without Lenny Bruce, that Lenny, like part of the thing and, and you know, talk about comedy here, but like with cancel culture and all that stuff and the things, you know, stories that have come up recently with like Dave Chappelle, who I love too, being attacked on stage during his set and things like this. It was really Lenny Bruce who paved the way of taking comedy and making it more risky, much more risky and doing things where he was literally being arrested for after every show. If you've watched, uh, have you watched the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Yes. Yeah. Well, his character, like the Lenny Bruce character in that show is based on the exactly real. Exactly what I thought of. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it is, is quite accurate. So, but the interesting thing with comedy is it's a comedian's job to push issues and language and things to the level. And open mics are a good place for this because they're a safe space for you to say whatever you want on stage. Personally, I'm not, I try to keep it pretty clean, 
but you know, others are not as clean. But the point here is that a comedian's job is trying to push, push it to see how far or where the edge is. Right. That is a comedian's job. It's so very yeah. true. And, and you it know, is a, a zeitgeist. Yeah. I mean, and I think every bit of joke or like has some vein of truth to it. I mean, right. I mean, but it is some sort of rejection that makes people laugh. Right. Yeah. Some suffering, some, some, yeah, some terrible thing. I mean, right back from slipping on a banana peel or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a lot of that in, in or yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big, I was going to say in comedy, but it's really in humor. I wonder if the ROI of nice would, would could be used in comedy and stand up today. I yeah. mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, test it, it out. Pilot like, it out. Yeah. I mean, well, as we, you know, as we went through sort of that exercise with nice and which definitely comes aspired from, from improvisation, that definitely plays a part of it. Yeah. It's interesting. I haven't really thought about how stand up would apply, but yeah. You have to be Food careful. For that Food for yeah. thought. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Dave, how do people get a hold of you? Well, the easiest way is to visit futureforth.com or just Google Dave Delaney. I'm usually at the top. I'm Dave Delaney on all the social networks. I mentioned the book, nicemethod.us. Y'all can use the, I said y'all, I'm the weirdest sounding Canadian. Uh, you can use, <laughs> I've been in the South too long. Uh, you can use the word disrupt for that book and you can get it for free. So. Thank you so much for doing that for our listeners. That's yeah, very no, no nice problem. of you. Yeah, well, yeah, I try. Practice, practice what I preach, right? <laughs> Thanks, Dave. This has been great. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show and be nice. Thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Johto PR and the user.